excited to be here at Sundance, where we're having a partnership between Afropunk and Color of Change, two organizations that are both celebrating their 15-year anniversary right this That's year. So, so exciting, very <laughs> exciting. And you might notice we're here at Sundance, which is very white, from the movies they show to the snow on the ground that is freezing our butts off. Wow. Yes. Uh, well, very ashy, we We're feel it. There. <laughs> Love it. And it's very important to, in spaces that are super white, to build our own spaces to reclaim the power of black stories and black film and black art. Yes. And with Color of Change and Afropunk, we're so excited to be amplifying all of the amazing work Color of Change has been doing in our communities for mm -hmm. 15 years. Yes, yes, yes. And I'm here on behalf of Color of Change. And, and we didn't really introduce ourselves, but I'm Gia Peppers, and it's so good to see you guys. And I'm Bridget Todd from Afropunk. Yes, and before we get into our guests, we just want to say this collaboration is such a powerful extension of Color of Change's Hollywood and Tell Black Stories work because it ensures accurate, empathetic, beautiful human portrayals of black people in television, film, and Hollywood. So we gotta, we gotta make that sure that it's here in Sundance and we're super excited to be here because we have a very special guest. Do you want to do the honors? Cause I, I can't even do it no more. Just, we're like basking in her glow uh, right now. Oh, she okay. came into the room and we were like, <laughs> we're so, so honored to be joined with Rada Blank, the director of 40 year old version premiering right here at Sundance. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Tomorrow at three. Oh my ah, God, no so turning exciting. back now. This is it. No turning back. Yeah. <laughs> so you said that you wanted this movie to be a love letter to your hometown of New York. What are you hoping that people walk away with understanding about what it means to be black in New York from this film? Ooh, ooh. That being black in New York means you got to be adaptable because the environment is changing constantly. Um, but also that the black presence in New York can't be stamped out no matter what, no matter how much you try. You know, that New York is still a hub of like this awesome black culture, you know, from hip hop to theater to um, the, you know, visual arts community. Like it really is a hub and people are still moving to New York with that dream. Mm -hmm. Like I want to be an artist, I want to make it. And so I think that the film talks about that struggle, but also talks about the perseverance of the black artists in New York. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like I, I think about my parents, they were, you know, I was raised by two black artists and they struggled a lot. But, you know, uh, hopefully I am kind of carrying on their legacy, you know, of being black, being artists, being in New York, you know, that's what I hope. That's what I hope. I think you're doing pretty well. You're doing oh, thank you. Sundance tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. so, no big deal. Not too bad. I think that's, you know, kind of fire. Um, yeah. But, you know, 40-year-old version is based on your experiences as a creative who straddles both theater, hip-hop, you know, storytelling. And, and those, both of those places actually marginalize black voices a lot, as we all know. Sure. So what has that experience been like for you, navigating both hip-hop and theater and trying to tell both stories on screen? What was that like? The, do, doing it in the film was cathartic for me because I get to, uh, you know, make this social commentary often through the lens of comedy, but to really address this idea of like, who gets to tell what stories and where and what spaces. And like, also like kind of looking at who the gatekeepers are. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in both, in both institutions, arts institutions, there's this catering to certain tropes or ideas. You know, in theater, I feel like the silver haired patron, as I call them, are king. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's about, Black theater and storytelling that appeals to what they feel black storytelling is. You know, like I kind of make a joke in the film that 
the the white actors, you know, when the couple the couple is having a confrontation and she confesses that she likes red meat. You know, that they, they have the space to, that that is the conflict. Whereas in the black play, it's about like people getting shot right. and, you know, like the neighborhood changing and all of this um, kind of torment. And um, often I, I find like black pain is sexy mm. when it comes to theater and storytelling. And so, yeah, I mean, I feel like I personally feel... I felt very rejected by theater because I didn't appeal to that audience. And where hip hop is concerned, I feel like, you know, a lot of times it's about appealing to the patriarchy. You know, like if you're a woman, then you're over-sexualized. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so, I don't know, I feel like the film was cathartic in that I got to address some of my personal, you know, um, struggles around vacillating back and forth between these two institutions in New York. Yeah. What's it like being a woman in, in her 40s who gets involved in hip hop? Like what is, what goes into that choice? What goes into that choice is a shaky mental state. Um, but really, I mean, you know, I've, I've always been a part of the culture. I mean, I've, I was an MC when I was much younger and tried to pursue a career and it didn't quite happen that way. But hip hop has always been like a meditation for me. Um, and so even when it wasn't part of my career pursuits, it was something that I practiced. And part of the reason it wasn't a part, you know, my career pursuits is because I realized I'd had to change a lot of myself to be successful in the culture. I feel like the film maybe helps spotlight a part of the culture we don't quite see. I mean, I made a deliberate choice to shoot in black and white because I feel like oftentimes the way the culture is presented is usually over-sexualized, over-saturated, and black and white for me kind of brings it down to a sophisticated, vulnerable human tone. Mm -hmm. um, so I still, I still have so much love for the culture. Like, I don't know that I'd be who I am. Even as a playwright, I tend to write in verse and I tend to speak through that lens of hip hop, I love the culture. The culture doesn't always love me. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it's about confronting that very um, imbalanced relationship. You know, you love this person or love this entity and it's not always loving to you. Um, and so it's also about me fighting to like have a voice in the culture in spite of how they may treat me. And when I say me, I mean black women right. as a whole, you know, but hopefully people walk away feeling like they might have seen on the side of the culture that they don't often see. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of that aspect of the film, um, where we get to kind of celebrate hip hop um, through a lens that it's not always seen through. Absolutely. And I love that, that you brought it back to the, how it loves us or doesn't love us, because I think there are so many older men who are rapping right now. Two Chains is in his 40s. Jay-Z is almost 50. Mm -hmm. Like, there are these people who are doing great, but no one asks them how old they are. No. Ever. No, it's never life. an issue. I mean, even as a filmmaker at the festival, people are obsessed with my age right, right. now. You know, and I, you know, I've also been called a late bloomer. Uh, yeah. And I'm like, I'm blooming late. No, y'all are late. I've been, I've been trying wow. to do this work for a long time. But age seems to be of importance when it comes to people of our gender, mm -hmm. you know? And so, um, but I've performed as Rodimus Prime over the last couple of years. And I find that 
I've just been a little bit more scientific about how I bring it to audiences. Like, I'm not trying to cut records. Mm. I, my mixtape is a live one, and it's more like a hip-hop cabaret. Mm. You know, it's very much about engaging an audience. And, you know, when I first started performing as Rodimus Prime, it really was about um, a catharsis. I had just lost my mother and was having a hard time dealing with it. She was my best friend. We have the same birthday. She, you know, is the person who planted the seed of storytelling in me. And so, um, you know, I had this web series called The 40-Year-Old Version. And that's kind of where things started. And two weeks before we were going to shoot the first two episodes, she passed away. And um, I kind of went into hiding. I was grieving. Um, and a few months had passed and someone had asked me to do some performance work, some other stuff I had done. And I felt like, I did not want to be a character. I kind of wanted to be more myself or who I felt in the moment. And so I had all of this music I had created on garage in GarageBand to be a companion piece to the web series. So I just started going out and performing as Rodimus Prime, mainly as a catharsis, not thinking that so many women especially would feel heard and seen. You know, mm -hmm. like I have anthems to fat girl sex, because why not? Wow. Um, I, I do talk about patriarchy and um, I have a song called poverty porn, which is about like, you know, people's obsession with, uh, black pain. Right. Um, and so, you know, again, I'm not thinking I'm going to have like a platinum selling, uh, uh, album. I just feel like it's still a very viable platform for me to kind of talk to an audience, engage them. And also at the same time, G off, <laughs> like get to, <laughs> just get to kind of have, uh, an expression, you know, uh, a DIY kind of thing. And um, again, I never did it to, you know, um, pull in an audience. It was more of a catharsis. And um, I'm just, I'm, I'm just kind of amazed that that little cabaret show is now this feature film, you know. And I think what that's a testament to is like, for storytellers, don't be afraid to allow your story to evolve into what it's going to become. You know what I mean? Don't think small. Allow it to uh, expand, you know, like get out of its way, so to speak. How do you do that? Like, how, as a storyteller, as a creative, how did you find the power to let the story decide where it was going to go? Let your voice decide where it was going to go or not go? How did, yeah. you, how did you find, well, how did you walk in that truth? Um, silence, actually. And, you know, like, this is my first time shooting a feature film, and as a screenwriter, you have an idea. You write down what your plan is. This is the map. But generally, when you get on the road, other things happen, mm -hmm. and you have to then just decide, like, what does it mean to take this detour? Like, is this going to serve the story? And a lot of times, I would just, I would just listen. I'd be silent. I, I'd try to not question things too much and just let the answers kind of come to me. And so I think. It's kind of, the, and it's taken me a while to get here, but it's really about trusting your inner voice. There were so many well-meaning people who told me, why are, you, why are you in this movie? Why are you shooting in black and white? Why are you shooting on 35 millimeter film? I don't think you should, blah, 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 blah. And I just, first of all, I gave myself permission to say no to them in spite of their pedigree and their experience and the number of Oscars they may have won. Um, and I just... It, it became more of a spiritual experience, to be honest with you. It's like there are times when I would doubt or I would question, and whenever I was quiet, the answer would be revealed to me. So sometimes I think the answer is to not think too much, not talk too much, but allow yourself to receive the messages that are going to be your affirmations. You know what I mean? And so 
you know, it can be a very lonely place when you're sitting there and you're you're convinced that this is supposed to be a black and white film and much more storied and decorated filmmakers are telling you like, that's gonna cost so much and that's gonna da da da. But boy, am I glad I just listened to myself because I don't know that we would be here to be honest with you. Like the film being in black and white is part of what makes it special. Yes. And if it wasn't color, then hmm, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it would be the same film. I feel like, uh, first of all, Black people in black and white is so luscious mm. and beautiful and sumptuous. And so like aesthetically, you know, we have this beautiful thing to look at, but also I feel like, you know, we get a chance to insert a rather retrofit, a, um, a New York story that should have been in the canon of New York stories. Like, mm. you know, like there should have been 20, 30 years ago, a story about, you know, uh, a black creative just trying to make it. Um, and not to take anything away from Kathleen Collins, who is one of my heroes, but there shouldn't just be one film about a black woman having mm -hmm. an identity crisis, yeah. you know? So, um, yeah, just, you know, I, I think if, if I am a poster child for anything, it's, it's one, you never age out of your passion. And two, just always trust that inner voice. Mm -hmm. Always trust it. I, so, because I'm sitting here just in awe, child. I'm <laughs> this, is, this is church for me. But speaking of church, I think, you know, I agree. Spiritual, Your spiritual life is so uh, important to your creative life because this is such a lonely journey. If you are yes. not good with self, there is no other way to make it. Yeah. So what? Where did, where did your belief system, what is the DNA of your belief system, starting with, like, the, the core of it? Yeah. Where does your belief come from? I think, you know... There wasn't one path in my home. Like at one point, my dad was Muslim and my mother was Christian, and then my mother became Buddhist and yes. my dad became Christian. I mean, try it all. <laughs> you know, and so it, for for many years, especially as a young person, I resented my parents because I was like, oh, I wish you would have just told us what we were. But the beauty is that I had the freedom to develop that on my own. And honestly, being an artist is what developed my spiritual practice because how else could I explain, you know, doing research on a play about gangs and then writing a play in two days? Mm. That's not me. Mm. That's some other thing, <laughs> you know what I mean? It, so uh, art is my spiritual practice and when I'm not practicing it, I am blasphemous. I'm, I'm bla being blasphemous, mm. you know? Um, so yeah, that I, it's not something I can define. I just know that it's, giving me the strength and confidence to be alone and, and to turn what might feel like a lonely uh, path into, you know, like a place where I can restore my voice. You know, like, listen, there's a war out here on the black, the black woman. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Like, there is a war and we are often disregarded and um, if I wasn't at Sundance and I wasn't, the film wasn't being celebrated, I'd probably just be considered another black woman. You know what I mean? Right. And so there are all of these messages that we're constantly receiving about our worth and our value. And um, I think sometimes being alone allows you to shut those voices out and allow a higher power to speak to you, mm. whether it's the ancestors or, you know, um, I speak to my parents, both of them have passed on, I speak to them all the time, mm -hmm. but that's about being alone, mm -hmm. you know? And so to me, it's about kind of developing your own sense of spirituality and trusting it, mm -hmm. you know, not allowing what mainstream or everybody else is doing dictate 
who you are as an artist, as a person, as a woman, as a person of color, a person who is quote, unquote, in the margins, but to really, um, you know, again, it can feel like a lonely, very lonely path at times, but I'm just trusting that all of that time that I'm spending alone is about restoring myself so I can go out and do the work that's necessary because I, I don't just see this as me being an artist. It's, mm -hmm. it's my form of activism, you know, like putting a woman who looks like me in the center of storytelling is activism, mm -hmm. you know, so yeah. What role do you think that your work has in social change and activism? Like what role should creative work play in that? Visibility, visibility, you know, just the more that we're out there, I think the more, um, the, you know, first of all, it's about reflecting what the world really looks like and who is in the world, but just giving voice, like having a, a black woman in a center role where she's having an identity crisis or she's having to be introspective, I think that that's a lesson for many people mm -hmm. because I think when they see us, there are certain assumptions that people make. Stella Maggie is one of my good friends, and she just shot a film called The Photograph with mm -hmm. Issa Rae mm -hmm. in the title. And when I first saw one of the early cuts, you know, I'm used to seeing Issa Rae in one particular way. Mm -hmm. I'm watching the film, I'm like, oh, this is more of a dramatic story. She's not playing to laughs. Mm -hmm. And so that then, I am now educated about the range of this woman, but also the range of the black form or female in a story. So I do feel like it's a very, very powerful medium. And I think, you know, we just need to, you know, keep being fearless about where we choose to aim our camera and not play into the tropes. So what everybody else is doing that? So what these kind of shows are selling? I actually think being an individual, trusting your voice and telling the um, often lived but not often heard story is actually what's going to help, you know, pull those stories to the forefront and give credence to stories that maybe, you know, again, I, I got so many no's in the process mm -hmm. and I'm hoping that when the movie comes out, a young person who wanted to tell the story in an avant-garde way, honestly, what I'm doing is not groundbreaking. I think the fact that it's me doing it appears groundbreaking, but I hope that someone sees it and they're inspired to tell the story that, the, that they've been told that they shouldn't or that's not gonna sell, you know? Um, again, no, they said no black and white. Don't put yourself in the film. And now, 40-year-old version, this is not a brag. This is just facts. Again, no, I, brag, I, brag, 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 brag all you want. <laughs> But, but people are talking about the movie and I, and I don't know that they would if I would have conformed to the idea. So I cannot stress enough that, you know, storytellers should trust themselves and be fearless in walking the path that their story demands. Well, I'm just, okay. <laughs> okay, so, so I think what's so cool about your story is that you've been to Sundance so many times at this point. You were a Sundance Fellow in 2017. 2017, and then, the Director's Lab, yeah. Exactly. And mm -hmm. now you're here, well, last year you and Lena were able to have your conversation and she was like, yo sis, how can I help you? And now you're here. At Eccles, that's what blows me away, is last year, 2019, we were sitting in Eccles. I was here with Anuka Bacotti, one of my producers. We were trying to drum up some money and interest in the film. I just saw Lena casually, socially. We sat in a theater together, and then after this film, she was like, yo, what's up with your movie? And I was like, I'm still trying to get money for it. She's like, well, when are you going to let me help you get this movie made? 
and that was in Eccles. And now um, a week from, I don't know, tomorrow, whatever, we are playing at Eccles with the very movie that wow. she asked me, you know, to help her make, yeah. you know, help, help me, help her, whatever. Yes. <laughs> it's been a long day. Yes, yes. yes. but you said it, but I, but we, I wanted to ask, how much of your journey has been uh, moved up forward with the help of black women and how important is Listen, that community? I have a baseball cap that says trust black women. Mm -hmm. And that's been my hashtag for two, 2019 moving on. You know, like my, my journey, I don't take it for granted. I feel like my voice as a, as a storyteller has strengthened because of adversity, but for Lena, it was a no brainer. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't this question. It wasn't this big risk. She's been one of my biggest advocates. You know, whenever someone was like, oh, I don't know, you know, film dailies, they take four days to come back. So she's going to take that long to leave. She's like, just let Rada do, let her do what I trust her. And so she trusted me. I trusted her. And I hope that more people just trust black women, especially with our own stories. But it's a testament to that. And I feel like Alina Rishi, Rishi Rajani at Hillman Grad, and then Jordan Fudge, our um, financier. You know, like, I hope that the film encourages more people, you know, whether they're celebrities or they have any kind of wealth, more people of color, black people especially, to start financing our films. Because you'd be surprised, like, just how much more empowered a filmmaker can be when they feel that their financier trusts them. And a lot of times, you know, trust is, again, it wasn't a, for, for Lena, Rishi, Jordan, taking a chance on me was not taking a chance. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't this big risk of putting, had I made a feature film before? No. Had I acted in a feature film before? No. But Lena knew me and my work enough to say, this is who we're going to invest in. And so I've been invigorated by it. And I hope that like, you know, when this year, when this whole thing kind of slows down, we, we've sold the film and we've connected it to audiences that I can do more to kind of help um, encourage, you know, more people of color, especially a lot of our entertainers and athletes to start financing more of our films. You know, um, it deser we deserve it, you know, and it's I think it's a payoff on both sides. So hopefully more people will be encouraged by the story of it. It sounds like trust has been a big part of your journey as a creative, trusting yourself, mm -hmm. your vision, your voice, trusting that you know how to tell your story more than some Oscar winning whoever who's mm -hmm. going to give you some advice, trusting the people around you and knowing that they trust your vision. It sounds like that's been the crux of a lot of your work. Very much so. I mean, filmmaking is very scary. Things don't always work as you plan, but I do think that, you know, it is, it's better to take a risk than not to do it at all. And that I think informs like the energy around a piece of art is when someone just says, I'm just going to try that. So again, it goes back to trusting yourself and trusting the division. And because I trusted it so much, I think other people were like, you know, I wasn't sure, but God, this girl is very convincing <laughs> you know, about the story. And so, um, yeah, it's very, much about it's very much about trust, but it starts here, so. I want to read a quote that I love. Yes, from you. read the quote. I can read so many, but uh -oh. <laughs> so in Miss Magazine, you were asked how buddy, like budding creatives could get involved in the industry, and you said, "Travel, get into debates, live abroad, break up to make up to break up, have life experiences that will help shape your point of view." Yeah, and I love that advice. I love that it kind of shows that sometimes the messiness of life, the things that we want to 
pull away from, like a weird breakup or I've had this weird debate with somebody and it got a, a little strange. Sometimes you can find fruitful things from life's messiness. So I'm, I'm looking at some of your works, particularly in um, She's Gotta Have It, mm -hmm. you know, that is a, a work that does not shy away from things that are messy in life. And I'm, I'm curious, like, how has life's kind of like messy or unplanned moments, how has that shaped you as a person and as a, as a creative? Well, what gives you a story to tell? I mean, I'm, I meet a lot of young people all the time who are kind of looking like for, not a magic pill, but they want the answer. Like, could you tell me what book you did? Can you tell me what, I just live my life, honestly. I live my life and I um, learned about survival and the perseverance of the human spirit by just kind of coming through something. And so when young people are like, how did you, how did you, I'm just saying, you just live your life. Like a story will reveal itself to you. Like there's no answer. And I, I don't think that my experience is a blueprint for anything. I do think that there can be symbols and it can inspire people and there may be examples of perseverance, but I do feel like your story is very personal to you. And you're not gonna find, you're not gonna really learn how to tell a story in a book. <laughs> you're gonna learn how to tell a story by living a life. So that's what I'm always saying to people. It's just like, go out there, live, fail, fall on your face. Um, and you know, the thing about life experience is you may not learn what kind of stories you wanna write, but you may learn what kind of stories you don't wanna write. You know, like there's no wrong answer and there's no magic pill or bullet in terms of, um, becoming a writer you just have to do it you know and and if if it, you don't get into a program if you don't find the mentorship then do it your damn self you know create community you know find three other people who are hungry to tell stories pick up a camera the camera could be your damn iphone it does not matter there there at this particular point there really is nothing standing in your way not even finances as long as you have someone who wants to tell stories as much as, as passionately as you do, you guys go out and start shooting some shit. You know, like I've seen stuff on iPhones that would rival, you know, the most expensive camera. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I see stuff shot with, you know, state-of-the-art technology that, you know, has all of the style, but there's no substance. So, you know, I don't know. I just hope that, you know, again, young people don't let, you know, whether they go to film school, or whatever, you have your own life <laughs> as a map, as an example of what kind of stories you should tell and maybe who who your audience is, if that makes any sense. Yes. It does. It does. You are doing so well. <laughs> so, the, so our last question before we wrap, um, our theme of being here at Sundance, the whole collaboration between Afropunk and Color of Change is building uh, black power, black futures, and black joy. Mm. And so with your project, how do you hope to build black power, black futures, and black joy? Mm. That's a good question. Black power, I think, or at least I, I hope I've helped to build it by empowering like a lot of the young people who worked in the film. Mm. You know, yes, I'm the director, yes, I'm the writer, but they are very important in the storytelling. And so I wanted to always check in with them and, and give them a voice. Um, black, what was it? Black power. Futures. futures black futures. Um, well, to me, it's like, you know, also 
employing people who maybe hadn't worked at a particular level in film before so that they can have a credit on their fucking resume. So important. Sorry. No. <laughs> New York. <laughs> so you can have the credit because in this business, that's really important. Yes. You know, like for me as a writer, um, I know my agents, when I first started working in TV, were like, oh, but you should get this much, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, look, I got a credit on a TV show and that gets you another credit. Yes. And so I feel like getting that credit is an investment in future work. And then the final one was Black Joy. joy. Black Joy. Other than your outfit, which is spreading oh. a lot of Black Joy. Yeah. <laughs> the earrings. Sexy, sexy undertaker. <laughs> How can I bury you today? Get into oh. it. <laughs> um, Black Joy. You know what? I'm going to be honest with you. Making independent film is very, very hard. But I feel like at the end of the day, there was always room for us to laugh and kind of not take things too seriously. And so we laughed, we kikied, we ate, we came together, we, there were communal spaces. And I think that that's important. I think it's important for people to, to be happy when they do this kind of work because people are not making much money. And so I'm not saying that I succeeded all the time, but I do think being kind, affirming people, making people feel good about like, where they are, like when I think about the young people who worked in the film and sometimes them having their insecurities, just like trying to be a mirror and give them back to themselves, you know? Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just, I hope that where Black Joy is concerned, I hope that people laugh a lot when they watch the film. And I feel like laughter is very healing. And so maybe that creates more space for Black Joy. They can absolutely follow Rodimus Prime on IG, R-A-D-H-A-M-U-S-P-R-I-M-E. Um, you can also follow Hillman Grad Productions on IG. Um, they're one of my awesome um, co-producers on this project. And just, you know, the 40-year-old version, not virgin, version, <laughs> B-E-R-S-I-O-N. So yeah, you know, we, we hope to walk away with some definites, but at this particular point, you can follow me on IG, you can follow Hillman Grad, and there'll be some, hopefully some awesome updates about what's happening with the project. Right a blank. Thank you so much for being Thanks here. Thanks for having me. This Thank is you. awesome. And I, I really love and celebrate the work that you all do. Thank like you. two very, very important institutions in terms of creating space and protecting black voices and encouraging more black storytelling and truth. So thank you. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yep. Yep. Thanks, guys. <laughs>